Welcome. This is Birth, baby. Your hosts are Sierra Morgan and Samantha Kelly. Sierra is a birth doula, hypnobirthing educator, and pediatric sleep consultant. Samantha is a birth doula, childbirth educator, and lactation counselor. Join us as we guide you through your options for your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey. In today's episode, we'll talk about what doulas do and what they don't do. All right, let's jump into it, Samantha. So do you want to start with telling us about what happens when you hire a doula? Like what's the first thing kind of we do when someone hires us? Yeah. So when you decide that you're going to hire us, uh, the very, very first thing that we're going to do is we're going to get a group tech started. Um, a lot of our clients have referred to this as the doula hotline. Uh, I think it's fantastic because it's pretty accurate to what we are. We're always there for you. Answer all your questions, all that good I love stuff. it so much. I love it's the fantastic. doula hotline. I wish, I, do you remember who said it? I think it was. Which dad? I think it was, was Jordan. It was it? Was it Jordan? I, I, I think know. it was someone right around then, but I love it so much that they coined it that because now we kind of use that in interviews and it gives people an idea of what we mean. Like really, you can just text us about whatever you want to. <laughs> it was Ryan. That's who it was. It was Ryan. Yes. I think you're right. Yep. Hi, Ryan. Shout out. <laughs> Thanks for coining that for us. Um, yeah. So we get our group texts uh, started. Um, not all doulas do this. Not all doulas are going to have this group text with the moms and the dads and everybody else. Um, but we found that it's super helpful for us, uh, just so that we can kind of check in. So we check in on your appointment days. We're always there for whenever you have any questions about anything going on. Um, you know, we're always there for, you know, like a random phone call after an appointment or, you know, whenever something's going on that you just want to chat with us, you know, in person about, um, and we're, you know, absolutely there whenever you have random questions that come up via text message as well. Yeah. I think some people I actually was teaching a birth class last night and I had somebody go, okay, so wait, they can only text you. Like, we're going to call you if we're in labor, right? I'm like, well, yeah, of course you can call us when you're in labor, but we personally are, um, I guess rule for ourselves is we keep all of our texts silenced. So if we're awake and have, we both wear an Apple watch, sponsor us, just kidding. Um, we both wear an Apple watch and it'll tap our little wrist if we get a text. So if it's 2 a.m. and we're pushing with someone or if it's 6 p.m. and I'm in a hypnosis session with someone, it's going to tap my wrist and I'm going to know that somebody sent me a text. So we always ask that if somebody is in labor and they really need something, they like either have an urgent question or it is time for somebody to join them, that they text us first because if we are, you know, it's 3 a.m. and we're with somebody in a laboring room. We don't want our phone to just ring if somebody's really relaxed. Um, but we'll be able to see that if we're awake and we'll either text back with, yeah, hold on, I'm going to walk out of this room. Or we call the other one of us to, hey, this person's texting and they really need somebody. You need to call them. So we say, if you don't hear back in five minutes, give us a call. Not all doulas do this. I know that some of them will totally wake up to a text at 3 a.m., but we have way too many clients to be having texts call through. So I think people like it too, because they can, you know, if they have a random thought at 3 a.m., they can text us and it's not going to wake us up and we'll just see it tomorrow morning. And it doesn't bother us because we're not awake. 
So that's that's typically what happens with us throughout the, you know, kind of early pregnancy, throughout the middle of pregnancy. And then towards the uh, end of pregnancy, things start looking a little bit different with us. Um, yeah. What what changes at the end of pregnancy, Sierra? Well, I think that the type of communication usually changes. There's more big decisions to be made, more hiccups that can come along the way, more un, uh, unexpected things that come up like, oh, my blood pressure was high today, or they're saying if this continues, I may need to be induced, or they want to do a cervical exam. And I know we talked about that, but I kind of need a reminder of why or why I may not want to do that. So you know, they'll text us and ask us questions like that, or I'm going to a provider appointment. Um, I want to ask them about this. What if they say X, Y, Z, or you get out of an appointment and you really want to talk to somebody because again, there's just more things that come up and are talked about at those later appointments. And people usually need a bit more support. I find that in the first trimester and the third trimester, people need the most from us. And then the second trimester, they don't talk to us that much. Um, yeah, we we're don't like, hear from them as much. Like, hey, are you there? I hope you're doing okay. Like, we're the ones going, ah, did you disappear? Um, so we're there as much or as little as people need. And some people don't need us at all in the different stages. You know, everybody's different and that's totally fine. Also, they reach out to us when they need resources, right? So I had somebody tell us we were like Google, but better because Google is going to give you a million different responses and ideas of things. And we kind of have it narrowed down to what we think is evidence-based, you know, based on our education and our experience. So it's a little bit of a Google filter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think too. So things just tend to get a little bit more real towards the end of pregnancy too. Like we've spent all of this time, you know, in the first and second trimesters thinking about things kind of like abstractly, right? Like you know, this is what labor might be like and, you know, all, all these different things. And then we, you know, you get to this point towards the end where maybe you're starting to feel some of those practice waves or you're starting to experience different things and just realizing like, oh yeah, like things are, you know, things are actually going to happen. I'm actually going to experience this soon. And so uh, some of our plans might change at that point. Um, and we have to talk a little bit more in detail about like, you know, we, we, we've talked before about my provider and I felt totally fine up until now. And now I'm just like, I, I don't know. And so then we have more conversations around then. So uh, there's, you know, lots, that's just one example. There's lots of different things that might happen, but. Yeah. Um, I feel yeah. like people really start to feel like, uh oh, this is getting real when we start having our prenatal meetings. <laughs> so with us and with every doula, you should get some sort of prenatal meeting with us. There's one with each of us and we go over different things with a lot of people. There's two, but that's with solo doulas. So when I say solo doulas, I mean, they, you only have one doula and that's who's going to be at your birth unless they need a backup doula with us. It's, we have an on-call model. So it's kind of a one week on one week off sort of deal, unless we have a random middle of the week anniversary dinner with our husband or something. And then the other one takes over. So with a solo doula, you may have two prenatal meetings with her and you go over different things at those with us. It's just that I do the first one usually. And Samantha does the second one. And I feel like when we're starting to make those appointments, people start to think, oh, it, it's getting closer. And then when we have that one, mine's usually around 32 weeks. People are like, oh my gosh, this is getting real. I remember the girl that I had one with the other day. She's like, how are we already here that it's time to have a meeting with you? So because those meetings are later in pregnancy, usually, unless you want it earlier, which is fine, 
I find that the text support really helps bridge that gap and start creating that relationship because a relationship with your doula is really important. That person's going to be there when in the room with you, when you have a baby and see your vagina and see your boobs. <laughs> like those are really intimate things that are going to be happening, seeing you become parents or parents again. Uh, so we have those prenatal meetings. People ask us all the time, what do you talk about at those? So do you want to go over a little bit, Samantha, what we talk about at those prenatal meetings? Yeah, absolutely. So we both talk about different things in our prenatal meetings. Um, for Sierra and I, because we're in a partnership, we always share everything with each other and we kind of have it down to a science too. Like she does these things and I do those things. So kind of overall, what we're going to be talking about is basically the end of pregnancy prep. We want to talk about all the things that you can be doing to prepare yourself for, um, for birth. We want to talk about um you know potential so like if if we know that you're looking at an induction we're going to start talking about well this is what an induction might look like these are the options that you know based on you and your exact situation these are you know the options that will likely be presented to you when we start looking at inductions um and kind of go over all of those things and we do a lot of like day of prep i feel like um you know talk about breathing exercises that we can be doing um if they are practicing hypno birthing then are you doing your meditations are you practicing how has that been going um and then we do our birth plan um or birth preferences planning and we're, we're going to go over all the things that are important to you um in your labor in your birth and the postpartum and if things don't go according to plan so uh sometimes we even do multiple birth preference sheets of you know this is what we're going to do if we have our out of hospital birth and this is what we would do if a hospital birth becomes necessary um, going over all of that yeah and if you're having a hospital birth what it might look like if you do need a cesarean and we don't want to have to talk about that, but it's better to talk about it now when it's not something that might be happening so that you can have kind of a calm head about making those decisions versus if you're in the middle of labor and get told, uh oh, we need to go back for a cesarean, you're going to go, if you didn't even ever think about that, you're already overwhelmed with the fact that you're about to go into surgery, let alone having to make a bunch of decisions. So talking about that ahead of time can be helpful and then we can throw it out of the back of our mind and not pick it up unless we have to, but it's good to think ahead of time. So we also talk a little bit about um, kind of when to communicate with us, when to call us, when to text us. I always say you can't over communicate. We would rather you over communicate than under communicate because yes, your doula, please. yeah, your doula usually will say something in their contract about you have they have X Y Z amount of time to get to you when you say I need someone. So a lot of times they say it's two hours because a lot of us have children, so we have to find childcare and line that up real quick and drop them off with whoever's going to be taking care of them. And then with Austin traffic, a lot of places are an hour away at different times of the day. So we usually say two hours. Now, if you had been telling us like, oh, my waves are 10 minutes apart. Oh, they're eight minutes apart. Oh, they're consistently five minutes apart. I don't feel like I need anybody yet, but I think I'm probably getting pretty close to that. Your doula can start getting their ducks in a row. They can start lining up that childcare. If somebody needs to drive to them to watch their kids or they need to drive somewhere to watch their kids or packing their lunches so, or asking someone else to drop their kids off at school. So a lot of people don't really think about, and we're not trying to make it about us, but a lot of people don't think about all of the behind the scenes that goes into your doula joining you. So it's definitely more helpful if you communicate those things earlier. So you have those two prenatal meetings with us. 
And then your doula joins you in labor when you're having waves that are consistent, you're in active labor, and you're feeling like you need physical support. So another thing to consider is that some doulas have a max amount of time that they will be with you before you start incurring additional cost. So a lot of them, it's 12 hours. I've seen some people say 16 or 18 hours, and then it's kind of like a gas pump where it kind of keeps running up after that. So it's $25 an hour or $30 an hour. Currently, as of recording this in May of 2023, Samantha and I don't have that because we've been able to have a pretty good balance and I don't know if boundaries is the right word, but guidelines for when people um, call us to join them. And it's been working very well so far. And yes, sometimes we're at births for 20 hours, um, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we're at births for two hours. And I've had people say, if you are only at our birth for a short time, like if we have a really fast birth, will it cost less? No, but it also won't cost more if it's a really long birth because We've both had two children and we both know that the last thing that would be good for us is having a time clock over our head going, it's going to get more expensive soon. I better hurry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note too, you know, just for any other doulas that are listening, there's no judgment here. We understand why people make that decision and absolutely. we've had we've those conversations it. too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we we can, we can be at births. I think the, what, what what's your longest, Sierra? I think it's 30 hours. Yeah, I think mine. And and I didn't get any sleep during that time. And I I went at like one o'clock in the afternoon. So I had already been awake a while. Oh yeah, those are the roughest ones. The like midday or end of day ones, those those can be hard. But yeah, I think mine is, I want to say, I think it was 38 hours. It was really long, but there was some, some little rests in there too. But, uh, but 38 hours of in-person support is really difficult. And from a practical standpoint, if you're looking at our bottom line, we charge X amount of money. We start breaking that up based on all of the support that we give prenatally and how much, uh, you know, our, our travel costs, our childcare costs, um, and you look at the hourly, we're not, we don't end up making very much on on those ones, yeah. which, you know, I completely recognize and understand why some people do make that decision and fully supportive of that. Um, at this point in time, we're, we're not there. Um, and we are, it is our goal to, I think, stay away from there because we also recognize as a parent how stressful that can be to have that, that gas pump running of, oh, well, they've been here for 12 hours and another hour, I'm going to have to start paying $35 an hour or whatever. Yeah. I think that's another part of the partnership, why that helps us personally is because we can call in the other one and we don't have to pay a backup doula to come. If you have a doula that is a solo doula and she is at your labor for 16 hours, it's not going to be safe for her to drive home if she stays much longer. So she may have to come call someone into labor sit or even to finish the rest of the birth. And then she has to pay a backup rate to that doula. So some of them are a flat rate. Like some of it starts at $750 or $800, depending on who's backing you up. Or you might have to pay a backup doula $25 an hour for when they come. So it does make sense. For us, what we say, and a lot of doulas even that aren't a team say, we join you when you need physical support. So we can provide informational and emotional support from afar and help partners be helpful for as long as they can. And we're gonna be resting at home and trying to, you know, use as little energy as possible during that time. And then we come when you're in active labor and you need those hip squeezes and position changes. And 
Um, if you have an epidural, you know, switching you back and forth side to side or being able to answer your questions about all of the potential cascade of interventions that may be happening from that epidural. So we have to be able to have not only our bodies be able to function, but our minds, because there's decisions that need to be made in those last moments of labor. And we're not there to decide for you, but we're there to make sure that you have informed consent about the options that are being presented to you. So we never want someone to feel like they didn't have any options because they were just told they need to do A and there may have been B, C and D that they weren't told about. And so we make sure that you know those other things are options. Absolutely. So from the parent's perspective during this time that you are kind of laboring on your own, this is still, you know, probably early labor, things are manageable. Um, we are giving you tips and tricks on things to try, uh, you know, when, when you need them. Um, but hopefully during this time you're resting, you're spending time with your loved ones, you're doing the things that make you happy and give you energy. Um, and, you know, kind of just having the, this moment of, um, of like solitude, I guess. I, I think it can be a really beautiful time for families in these moments before, you know, the kind of chaos of birth can start um, before the whole team is called in. You just have these moments with you and your partner and your family, or, you know, maybe it's even just you on your own laboring. Um, and this is, I think, this is important for a few reasons. One, because the chaos of birth is coming. It's, it's gonna get a little bit crazier, but two, this allows your hormones to do a whole lot of work before we come in as doulas or as your birth team and start doing more things because doulas are an intervention. We are something that is added to your birth. And so uh, controversial, wanna... Samantha, I don't think that is that I'm controversial? just kidding. <laughs> no, Maybe I mean, it is. most people wouldn't consider us an intervention, though. Yeah, you posted I guess something right. the other day on social media about the moment you walk out the door, that's the first intervention. When you walk out of your mm -hmm. front door, didn't you post that? I and did. I read that. That was that a quote was like, by an OB. Dang. Oh, that was a quote by yeah. an OB. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, we we should do a whole podcast on interventions too. I think that's on the list somewhere down there. Mm -hmm. Um yes, I you we are, I guess, an intervention because we're something that's being added to the mix that doesn't have to be there. And we're not medical. So maybe this is a good time to talk about what we do and what we just talked about what we do, but what we don't do. So sometimes people ask us, what is the difference between a doula and a midwife? We have some people set up an interview with us and go, okay, but we don't really know the difference. Like if I hire a midwife, do I still need you or do I need you in a hospital birth? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the differences between a doula and a midwife? Yeah, absolutely. I see this on TV shows a lot, um, like in like doctor shows where people come in and they're like, oh, well, my doula was checking my cervix or, you know, I was planning to have a home birth with a doula. And I'm like, oh, that, that is not what we do, people. I am not checking anybody's cervixes. You are not having your home birth alone with me. Um, I am not a medical provider. That is not what doulas are. So we are not doing any anything that would be considered medical. We are there for physical emotional and informational support. 
Um, we are not doing cervical checks. We are not doing blood pressure checks. We're not using a Doppler ever to check a heart rate. Um, I know there's there's one doula who talks about how a, she, she told a story about how a midwife um, asked her to use the Doppler to check the baby's heart rate at one point. And she was like, absolutely no, that is beyond my scope. Even though you as the provider is here and would be interpreting it, I we, we can't put ourselves there because that's not our job. Yeah, she was like, you better call a birth assistant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> call somebody else in. You can give me your phone. I'm happy to do that phone call. I'll do those buttons. <laughs> yeah, that's not what and, our training is. It's not that big of a deal, right? Sure, we could hold the Doppler on the stomach. And the and have I done that before? Yes, I've, I've done that before at a hospital too. I've held oh, those yeah. little – when the nurse is trying to get something and I've held the monitors on the belly for her or I've fixed them real quick. But – it's a slippery slope. Like we need to be careful that you know we're doing it because they asked us to do it and it's very momentary, but mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we don't blur the lines of who mm-hmm. we are and who they are. And I love the term doula for life, never a midwife. Lots of doulas turn into midwives. Lots of them mm-hmm. want to be midwives one day. Personally, that's not my goal. I will never be. I, not only do I not want to do that, I couldn't stomach it because I can't even look at my clients when they're getting an IV. Some of them don't know that, <laughs> but I really can't. It's it grosses me out. I don't think I hardcore. knew that. That's really funny. Oh my gosh, y'all! I get like, ugh, like my I get weak all over. Um, I hate IVs. I could watch a C-section all day, but I not an IV, so it's not logical. Um, I could never be a midwife, but that's to say. A lot of medical providers get a little bit uh, annoyed, I guess, with doulas when they think that we're trying to take over their role. So it's very important for us to keep that boundary so that they know we respect their role as a medical provider, that we are there to assist in every other way. We will do hip squeezes. We will do counter pressure. We'll help with position changes. We'll, you know... um, get water, make sure they're staying hydrated, help the partner be able to go get food and they can leave and we can stay and answer questions. But when it comes down to any of the medical stuff, we take a back seat and we do know about those things. We understand the risks, benefits, all of that, but we're not the ones that do the actual work. And so I had somebody compare a midwife to the OB or nurse at the hospital saying, even though you have a midwife, you still need a doula because they're not there. The midwife's not there to do hip squeezes. The midwife still has a role to play with the medical stuff. And yes, they're less medical than an OB would be or a nurse would be, but there's still things that they have to do to make sure that everything's going smoothly. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we are, I mean, really we're professional support people in your birth. Um, we are the wedding planners of your birth is what I've heard some people say. Oh yeah. Uh, I've also and I love the that. golf caddy. Yeah, like we, golf, know which, yeah. we know which if we use the putter or if we use like the nine iron or something. I thought I like that was that. a really I'm gonna fun use one. That. Yeah, I really I'm going like to use that. that. That's a good one. Because you know all of the – all of the oh my gosh, I don't play golf. Do you love it that I was like all the sticks, you know, all the clubs or whatever. <laughs> we know what's in there. The, the person knows what's in there that's playing golf, but they don't always know which one is the best one to pull out and yeah. the pros and cons of using each of those. So – um, I've even heard of midwives giving discounts. Some midwives give dis- discounts to those that are using a doula because they know that they're, in their term, I think it's patients. We never call people our patients because, again, we're not medical. But the people giving birth are going to be more educated, have less questions, actually, for their midwife, and have a better understanding of what's going on and 
not need so much from their midwife because it's spreading it out a little bit with the doula. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. We're, we're, um, you know, we're on the same team. We're team members, team, team members, team players, whatever. We all, we all work together for the goal, but we all have separate roles as well. Um, so that, that's a little bit of the differences I think between like doulas and midwives and, um, and I, you know, I think it's also important to note that our role is also different from the partner's role. Uh, we do a lot of the, you know, a, a lot of the same things as the partner. Um, but our, our role is to really enhance the partner's, uh, the partner's role in a birth. We don't want to take anything away from our partners. We want to help you do the things that you want to do and take over for the things that you don't want to do. Um, because you're, you may not want to do everything. Maybe you don't want to hold the emesis bag while mom is throwing up. Um, that's not your jam. That's cool. One of us can hold the bag and one of us can hold her hair and rub her back. Yeah. And that, you know, my husband did not want to do any of those things and I didn't want him to have to do any of those things. It's not his jam. This is not his passion. And so I wanted a doula so that my husband could literally just hold my hand and be present with me for the birth of his son. And there are other people who the dad wants to do all the things or the mm -hmm. other wife wants to do all the things, um, whoever maybe it's grandma is in there and wants to do all the things, but they don't exactly know what all those things are. And even though they get education during pregnancy, it's kind of hard to remember when it's game day and everyone's excited. Shoot, yeah. what did they say I should do when, if, if this, then this. And so the doula can do it, show you how to do it, and then you can take over. And it's a very much teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on to talking about uh, your favorite topic, which is informed consent for just a quick moment here. So what is the doula's role with informed consent? What is informed consent? Just a brief, uh, a brief description of it. And then what is our role in providing that? Yeah, I we were just talking about shirts earlier before we started this recording and uh, we were talking about the different types of shirts and i always have something on actually in this one right now i have a sweatshirt that says unless i'm out of birth which is my excuse for everything if i'm going somewhere oh sure i'll be there unless i'm out of birth um so i also have one that says informed consent is my jam so that's why you're calling me out as this is something that i love because i really do Informed consent is knowing all of the options and the pros and cons to those options before making the decision. So even if it is like an absolutely necessary cesarean, and there are those things, just because we're doulas doesn't mean that we don't think that people should ever have cesareans. Informed consent means you understand why that needs to be done. And then you feel a heck of a lot better about it when you know the reasons behind why it needs to be done. Otherwise, it's going to feel like the decisions were made for you. And maybe you're going, maybe there was other option or were other options, but I have no idea what those were because nobody communicated them with me, or I don't know why this was necessary. So a huge part of helping reduce the amount of trauma people feel from their birth is having them feel like they were a part of the decision-making process and understood the why behind decisions that were being made. Yeah, I think that's absolutely, absolutely perfect. Um, and I mean, really, our our goal is also not to replace your providers because your provider should be providing informed consent to you at all times anyways. But 
sometimes it's not happening for one reason or another. Maybe it's just because they're in the swing of things and forget about it. Or maybe they thought that they did, but you're not, um, you know, you as the birthing person is not interpreting it in the right way. Um, and so we can kind of just come in and help bridge, bridge that gap. And ideally, you know, we're just all part of that process together and talking through it all together. I've actually had quite a few times where I hear a provider and our doula family, as I like to call them, the whoever's giving birth, speaking and they're communicating and they're both saying completely different things. They're not understanding each other, but they think they're understanding each other. I usually say to our client first, hey, I think what this provider is trying to say is, and then I look at the provider and say, I think her question is, blah, 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 blah. Am I right? Did I interpret those things right? And sometimes there's like that aha moment of, oh, that's what she meant. And actually in a birth class, again, just last night, I was talking about how a lot of people say that they want their doula to advocate for them. And my big thing is we are the grease. Doulas are the grease. They are the people who have the finesse of trying to get everybody to understand each other and um, respect each other through the process. And we're not just one-sided. And by the way, we work for our clients, not for the providers. So at the end of the day, whatever you guys want is what we support. But we need to be able to, instead of being uh, kind of contrary or maybe even aggressive sometimes, I've heard of people getting against the providers and going, no, she doesn't want that. She wants delayed cord clamping. And evidence would say, blah, 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 blah. If we were to do that, they are not going to ask us back. You know, they're not even ask us back. They're not going to support us being there. They could potentially kick us out of the birth as the doula. They also could um, go decide that next time I walk in with somebody else two weeks later, if I was the doula that was being argumentative in the last birth, I walk in, they're like, great, this girl's back, you know, and it's already going to set a bad tone for the next person. So if you want your doula to advocate for you, advocating looks a little bit different than what you might think. So talk to your doula about what they might think advocating looks like for them. Everyone's comfortable with a different level of that. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, we've talked about advocating. We've talked about all these different things. So let's talk, let's just take a quick minute and uh, before we kind of wrap up and talk about what do we do during the actual birth? What things are we doing for our clients? And then what do we do um, postpartum after the baby is born? So what does a doula do during the actual birth? So we, we talked about it, helping with advocating. Um, we're doing physical support. We're doing hip squeezes. We're rubbing your back. We're Um, helping you get into different positions. Uh, Sierra and I personally do a lot of spinning babies things with our clients um, as we see necessary. Um, And we are, you know, doing a lot of a lot of those kind of comfort measures and different things throughout. And then I think the other place um, that we come in, we come in pretty handy is during pushing. Um, We can help with pushing positions. We can help with how do you push? Um, giving different options for how you push, especially if you're in a hospital, they kind of have one way that they like to do things. Um, And we know that that's not necessarily the only way. And so we can talk with our clients about the different options for pushing um, and the different positions that we can get into. I can't tell you how many times I've had a client say, hey, I really don't want to push on my back, but I have an epidural. What else can I do? And 
and the nurses are not familiar with the different pushing positions that we can get into with an epidural. And so I am able to help my client get into different positions. We can get into hands and knees. We can use the squat bar. We can do different things. And the nurses, you know, are like, wow, I've, ne I've never seen, you know, anybody do that with a medicated birth. That's so cool that we were able to do that. And they can see, you know, the change that, that can happen um, when we're, you know, using those different positions. And so uh, that's a lot, I think, of what we do during the pushing. Um, we're also, Sierra and I also are really good at one-handed pictures. We, we can uh, be pushing <laughs> on a hip or, you know, supporting an arm or whatever, and then taking pictures with the other. You just gave me a visual. I was literally doing tug of war with one of our home birth clients a few months ago, which tug of war is like a big rope between you or a big sheet with a knot at the end. And while the mom is pushing, we're pulling and she's pulling against it too. It kind of, anyway, we won't go into why, but um, I was literally doing that with one arm while taking pictures with the other one. Cause I didn't yep. know which push it was going to be that the baby came out and she wanted photos. And I kept having to switch hands cause my tug of war arm was getting very tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was doing that the other day too. Um, I think we, we were doing rebozo sifting and I, I had one of the one side of the rebozo in one hand and the dad had the other side and then I was taking pictures because mom just thought it was really funny that we were doing this so it was good, it was a good time. Um, so yeah, we, we do a lot of different things and then once the baby's out, we tend to take kind of a step back. Um, we want to allow, you know, the new family to get to know each other without everybody crowding in on them. So. Uh, we can help, um, you know, with any questions that you have at that point, and of course, taking pictures and, um, you know, making sure that you're still getting the things that you want as far as delayed cord clamping and, you know, not, not bathing the baby or doing all those different things. Um, but we, we tend to take a step back. And then we kind of have that, that golden hour, that birth quiet um after everything has settled down which everybody is always so surprised at how quickly everybody leaves the room after you have a baby especially in the hospital you have like 20 people in there and then five minutes after the baby's out everybody's gone and it's it's a wild moment i think for <laughs> for a lot of people um and during that golden hour, we can help with um, with the breast crawl. If that's something that uh, the parent is wanting to do, we can help with breastfeeding, um, you know, figuring out what positions are comfortable, all those different things. And then uh, really making sure mom is getting something to eat and dad is getting something to eat and, and everybody is pretty settled before we leave. So for us, we stay about an hour after the baby's born, um, sometimes closer to two and once in a while longer than that. Um, but in most cases, it's it's right at about an hour. We're going to help with breastfeeding. We're going to help with making sure everybody has everything that they need. And then from there, we're you're you're kind of on your own. You get to live um, your your little life as your family of three or four or eight or wherever we're at. And then start spamming your doula with pictures when you take cute pictures when your baby's growing. Gosh, they change so much from when we leave at the one or two hour mark or whatever until when you know we see you guys around a week postpartum or something like that. So that's another thing we do is we do a postpartum follow-up visit. Um, and it's usually just like a one hour check-in and we can do all sorts of things, talk to you, help with breastfeeding, help with resources, referrals, remember that Google but better kind of deal, mm -hmm. um, help set up the camera if you want, if you guys forgot to put up your you know, baby camera or monitor, or if you 
you know, need help giving that first bath, we're happy to do those things. And that kind of wraps up what a doula does and doesn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. See you next time. Thanks, Thanks y'all. Thank you for joining us on Birth, baby. Be sure to tune in next week as we start talking about some other really cool classes that you can take during pregnancy to help you feel more prepared. Thanks again to Longing for Orpheus for our music. You can look him up on Spotify. Remember to leave a review, share, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.